Oh, guys, I am so honored to be speaking with you today, and I am so grateful to have the opportunity to share some of the ways um, that the Lord has worked in my life throughout my time here. And what I want to do today is tell the story of how the love that I've received here at Covenant when I was really vulnerable, even though it was really scary, um, revealed the love and comfort and presence of Jesus to me and helped me to know him more closely. I can say that I know who Jesus is so much more clearly after spending these last four years with this unique little place <laughs> where his heart is revealed through the faithfulness of his body. Um, please pray with me because I'm shaking like a leaf. Jesus, help me to speak these things that are true. Give me steady hands and a calm heart. Amen. When I moved to Covenant on August 23rd, 2019, I arrived very pleased with the haircut my mom had given me at 11.30 the night before and very worried that I might be the only person who had read Harry Potter. <laughs> I was ushered into Founders Jubilee 224, <laughs> uh, the little room where I still live today. It was exhilarating, so, so exciting, and also incredibly hot in that little room as we wrestled together my items that were strewn everywhere. My stomach hurt, I was on top of the world, and from our decorations, I thought my hall was potentially the most magical place in the world. However, coming here was also, at that point, by far the scariest thing I had ever done, and I don't think that's necessarily unique. <laughs> um, I didn't just walk in pleased with my little impromptu haircut or my array of fish-related items, most notably parsley, my fish pencil pound. Uh, yeah, give it up, give it up for him. Um, I also walked in feeling about this tall and convinced that if anyone really knew how sad I was, there was no way I could possibly make any friends. I came into Covenant only a few short years after the death of my younger brother. His name was Killian, and losing him has been and continues to be the most unspeakably painful thing that I have ever experienced. And I mean unspeakable. I couldn't talk about it for years without totally coming undone. And honestly, I am just now starting to be able to speak more openly about my experiences of grief. Um, telling all of you this, it feels incredibly vulnerable, and I hope that you'll be gentle with me. <laughs> Losing someone that close to me was very visceral. Everything in my life crumpled, destroyed by what felt like never-ending waves of grief and anger and sorrow. My family moved, and I spent the two years before I came here pretty lonely, um, riding my bike down to the bay and wishing that my life looked really different than it did. By the kindness of the Lord, I've never found myself doubting the reality of his presence or his sovereignty, but that made for much trickier questions when my life imploded. <laughs> I understood in a new way what Peter might have been getting at when he said, where else can I go, O Lord? You alone have the words of life. Because I was clinging to the Lord for every breath since I had no other choice. But I was deeply shaken in my certainty of his goodness. I struggled to do what I felt like was the mental gymnastics of reckoning with him being good and loving and the total wreckage of my life and heart and mind. I began to subconsciously think of him as abstractly good and abstractly loving. 
like he gave a love of obligation and not a love of genuine delight and fondness and presence with me, let alone willingness just to be with me when I was sad. So that's how I arrived here, in a place of deep wrestling and deep fear. I came to this mountain a total open wound, but a really invisible one. I knew that lots of adults were trustworthy, um, but after watching friends in high school distance themselves, after they got closer to the grief I was carrying, it became cemented in my little heart that if I let myself slip into really being known by people my age, it was a guaranteed ticket to lose the relationships I so desperately needed. I was so worried that people would find out. I was terrified that no one would understand that I was still sad about it and that I would always be sad about it. I wondered if people would think I should be over it by now, and I was really afraid that people would respond as if I shouldn't be sad anymore when I was still feeling so buffeted by grief. So I did a staggering amount of compartmentalization and somehow walked into every encounter genuinely believing that every single person I spoke to would want to be my friend, all the while avoiding letting myself be known. But a week breaks you. It was enlivening, but exhausting. And at some point, very early when school started, I ended up weeping in the commons with an upperclassman on my hall at 3 a.m. after learning I had over 50 pages of reading due that I'd forgotten for intro to history the next day. Some of you resonate with that agony. Um, this breakdown and the resulting care from someone who wasn't my mother was totally unexpected and incredibly wild to me. I thought to myself, I've only been here for a week and I'm already breaking down this hard. What is happening? Why am I sobbing? She's known me for four days and I am weeping into her shoulder like a baby. What is happening? Um, what happened was that she made space for me and for the throes of my awake emotions, and it was a kinder act than she could have ever realized at the time. I, naturally, uh, avoided her entirely the next day and maybe for the rest of the week, um, because obviously that was so embarrassing and a loss of my dignity, and duh, she would never want to talk to me again after that, right? Wrong, she's in my wedding. Um, <laughs> Anyway, this incident and the lack of fallout afterwards really took hold in my mind. I wasn't sure if it was a one-off or a genuine display of care and desire for friendship, but I was very sure that I was never going to let it happen again, just in case. Fast forward to October when it started to get a little colder and the chill in the air reminded me of the approaching anniversary of my brother's death. Unfortunately, I have never been accused of being especially subtle or self-contained. Uh, as I would like to think I am. Some of you know this, if we've ever interacted. And um, several of the people I was growing closer to started to kind of notice that I was a little quieter and didn't laugh quite so easy and became all the more sensitive around the jokes that come out in lobbies late at night when everyone is feeling their absolute stupidest. <laughs> the wound in my heart I was working so hard to conceal was rising to the surface, and there was absolutely nothing I could do to stop it, and that was a horrifying feeling. <laughs> Um, as Allison so eloquently reminded us last week, most of us haven't exactly found our footing by October of freshman year. And I was still doing the dance of trying to make friends while ensuring that no one knew anything personal about my life. <laughs> and the uncontrollable blurring of those lines was scary town. I would tell stories about my childhood and erase all the parts where my brother mattered or played a major role. I didn't tell anyone who was on the screensaver of my phone, and I hid the pictures that I printed out of him in my journal, never dreaming of putting them anywhere that someone could see it and ask an uncomfortable question. 
In the midst of that, I try to be so, so brave, and through the work of the Holy Spirit and a lot of counseling, let's hear it for priests too. Um, <laughs> that's right, that's right. Um, I ended up sharing with a few people. Some people held my story with such love and care, even with what little I was able to tell them without feeling like I was totally underwater. One friend I shared with did a really kind job and made me feel really safe by continuing to ask gentle questions. Another friend helped me in the comments as I sobbed into her arms for the second time, um, shaking like a leaf as I choked out in a whisper what I was trying to say. Not only did she hold me and listen, I learned much later in that moment that she was weeping with and for me. Other people didn't have the knowledge or skills to know how to hold my story well. I learned very quickly that there are better testing grounds for new friendships than sharing your biggest hurts. And just because someone shares something deep and personal with me about their life does not mean that it is wise to reciprocate. <laughs> and that was a hard but valuable lesson. As I was getting near and nearer to the deeply dreaded anniversary, I took a shower one morning, something I recommend all of you do frequently. Thank you, thank you. Um, I have always found showering to be my best prayer time, and I was sitting before the Lord, mind swirling with all the changes that had taken place. The list of people who knew what I thought of as the real me was getting longer. Sidebar, uh, people can genuinely know you without knowing all of your stuff. It, um, you're not lying <laughs> if you don't tell them everything about yourself. Discernment is wise. Um, anyway, like I said, some of that had been deeply healing as they didn't run away and carried my story with a lot of love. But some of that had been really scary with some of the people that I told saying unhelpful things or worse, never mentioning it again. While my head was spinning, the Lord gave me a piercingly specific word. As I prayed in the Jubilee tub stall, I was reminded of Galatians 6.2, which says, bear one another's burdens, and in doing so, you fulfill the law of Christ. Fueled by the hubris you can only achieve when averaging four-ish hours of sleep a night, my staggeringly arrogant first thought was, I'm doing such a good job fulfilling God's law. <laughs> but, shockingly, that was not the revelation. Uh, the revelation was hearing the Lord compassionately ask me a question. Who do you think you are to prevent someone else from having the opportunity to fulfill my law? When you won't share your burdens, you don't allow other people a chance to honor me by carrying them with you. I was already pretty emotional thinking about the new friends who were tentatively entering into this tenderest of parts in my heart, and that realization made me weep in the best way as I realized that the Lord was actually calling me to share my heart and my story with other people. My burdens were not unworthy of care by others, and asking my friends to help me carry them was a part of this intricate but really very simple task that we are all called to for each other. I was actually being called to not only hold other people's burdens, but offer up mine as well, so I wasn't just holding them by myself. While it was still infinitely terrifying, um, the Lord used this as a reminder to be brave in the moments where I did feel safe enough to share with more and more people who showed themselves to be really trustworthy. I can't tell you enough how scary that is, and still is to me. <laughs> like I said, uh, I'm a little bit petrified right now, and but I, but I am here saying this and sharing this with you. And the only reason I can is because of the way that the faces of my friends became such an image of the face and the hands and the feet of love incarnate. 
They didn't just do it in one-off conversations, but like Jesus, drew near to me time and time again when I was curled up in my bed crying so hard I couldn't breathe or I was just so sad I went completely numb. They answered my tentative texts in the moments where I was brave enough to ask for someone to come sit with me and they consistently lifted up my snotty head when I would hide my face because I was embarrassed, reminding me over and over again that they were here and they weren't going anywhere. They brought me flowers on anniversaries and took me out to Waffle House in the middle of the night and perhaps most importantly, helped me evade responsibilities when what I needed most was just to sit and look at pictures of my brother and I when we were little. One year for his birthday, I wanted to find a deeply cringy wolf shirt because he would have been all about that. A friend and I thought long and hard about where we might find one on such short notice and decided to hit every single gas station in the greater Chattanooga area. It was very sketchy, we got hit on a lot, and we didn't find a wolf shirt, but I felt really loved. This year, I was given not one, but two wolf shirts for his birthday, much to my great joy, and I would have worn one, but they are both dirty. <laughs> my friends wrote me cards where they talked about how much they love my brother through knowing and loving me. One time, anticipating a particularly hard day, a friend gave me a card that said, punch today in the face, with a very girl power vibe fist. And I was a little confused at first until I realized she'd scratched it out and said, it's okay if this day punches you in the face. I'm here with a big metaphorical stake. They listened to story after story and referenced them back to me months later without any weirdness, which was like water on dry ground to my heart. They invited me to do things when I wasn't going to be fun, but more than likely would just kind of sit there and kill the mood a little bit. They remembered facts about my brother and pointed out things they thought he might have loved from what they'd learned about him from me. Often they were spot on and my heart would soar just a little bit, feeling both the permission to miss him and also feeling so, so thankful that I didn't have to miss him on my own anymore. Year after year on his birthday, the anniversary of his death, and all the random terribly hard days in between, they loved me with the same deep, consistent love. They didn't stop even though the shape my grief took was very cyclical, and the love I needed was repetitive. And they are still loving me in those ways today and giving me the honor of learning their stories and caring for them too. None of us did this perfectly. We messed up time and time again, but the love that they were pointing to, the love of the Lord that was undergirding all of the things, it, it still showed up. And slowly, I began to see that they didn't just love me because I was fun and bubbly and made the occasional little quip that gave them a little giggle. Um, they didn't love me because I loved them or because I was interesting to them. I ever so slowly started to realize that actually, while they did love me for all of those things, they also loved me for the big, gnarly, broken pieces of my heart that they longed to see made new just as much as I did. Ultimately, it became clear through the generous consistency of their care for me that they loved me because they loved me. As I'm leaving Covenant, I've never been so certain that I'm not alone anymore. I'm seen and loved not only by my friends who carried me and continue to, but in a much deeper sense, I have learned that I am seen and loved in the midst of my deepest heartaches and deepest joys by the one whose love they were drawing upon to love me. The love of the God who shows up again and again and again, and again, and again. The love of the Lord who never gets weary of loving me in exactly the same way when I need it over and over. The God who gives me the same mercies daily. 
The consistent love of my friends acted like a giant arrow to the consistent love of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who unfailingly pour out an unfathomable amount of patience and tenderness and love to each of us. They weren't just a signpost to that love low. They were the very conduits of it. My entire paradigm of understanding who Jesus is shifted once I really understood him, not just as the God who created the world and died for me, but as someone who loves me like we are the best of friends. The mental gymnastics of understanding the complexity of his sovereignty over my life is still not always easy, but I have a much greater peace about it than 16-year-old son ever could have dreamed of because I know now how much he loves to sit next to me and let me put my head close to his heart as I wrestle through it all. He is not just the one I am humbled to worship, but also the one who lets me fling open the door to come sit on his bed and cry into his arms and tell my stories too. This is who he has been to me. And this is what I hope sharing my story can remind us that he is willing to be for all of us through his body, through the voice of his spirit, and through the consistent, faithful, unceasing outpouring of his love for us. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for how good you have been and how good you've promised to always be. Thank you that death is never the end of the story, but even so, you sit with us in the midst of the grief we feel over it. Thank you for my friends who revealed your face to me in such tangible ways. Help us to be like your son and, and reflect um, who you are to one another. We love you, Lord. Amen.